Well, it's, uh, it's good to see all y'all. If you're a guest, I'm David, the pastor. We're glad you're here. Uh, if you're a guest online, we're glad you're here. I know we a lot more people start coming back. You're just looking great every day, every week. I should say more and more are coming. A lot of you aren't comfortable yet. That's okay. Uh, one of the things we said from the get-go is you, you come back when you're ready. We'd love, love to have you. Uh, we, we want you to ever be comfortable, though, worshiping and glorifying God. Uh, I don't know if there are any of you guys out here, some have been married a short period of time. I, I've been married almost 38 years. It's been 38 great years. But I remember what it's like to be young and just married. You're like, you're like the, the stallion that just got broke, you know. <laughs> and you're, and, you're, and you're now you've been put away. You, you, you can't roam the fields anymore. You can't, but your guys call you. You know, I can remember what it's like, you know, your buddies call you. I'm saying, David, come on, come on, come on. And, and you're like, oh, I'm married. I can't do that. And once in a while, you would just look, I look at them and say, come on, babe. I'm, I'm, it's just the guys. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the guys. You just, you just want to be one of the guys again. And, and just go out and be with your buddies. And gals, it's probably the same for you. Sometimes you're just going to be with your people, your guys, your gals. And I'm telling you this because you realize Jesus had his guys. He had 12 of them. They were his guys. And, and, and we're in a series that began last week. And, and he's, he's with his guys uh, on the night before he's crucified. And so in John 13, we're in a series called The Night Before. This is Jesus with his guys. And he's going to teach them. And, and John 13 through John chapter 17, we, we kind of call all this the farewell discourse of Jesus. It's, it's his last time with his guys. At, at the end of this sermon series, it ends the last Sunday of July, uh, that next Friday night, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a, a, a teaching session starting at 6.30. I'm going to teach chapters 14, 15, and 16 and, and go on the detail of that. But for these eight weeks starting last week, we're, we're, we're in chapter 13. There's so much stuff here to look at. And I began actually last week in chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. I'm going to actually finish the series. I'm going to come back to those same verses. But th those verses, Jesus says, a new commandment that I have for you. He's telling his guys this. This is my new commandment for you. You love one another. You guys love one another. The world will know you're my disciples if you love one another. And I asked a question last week. What does love look like? What does love look like? And so that kind of question really is just dominates the series. And as we look at what love looks like, we're going to come back to the very beginning of the chapter and see how it's set up. And what I want you to see from John 13, verses 1 through 4, is this. Jesus, he loved his guys. I mean, these were his guys. He loved them. And so, verse 1 begins this way. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, his guys, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, one of his guys, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, he got up from supper and he laid aside his garments and taken a towel, he girded or wrapped it around himself. And so the message today, here's what I want you to see. To fully and completely experience the love of Jesus, you need to be one of his own. One of his guys, one of his gals, you need to be one of his own. And I'm going to begin this series, talking a sermon today, talking about one last moment. Life oftentimes kind of consists of the moments. Moments are special. I look back on my life and I think about moments. I think about 
You know, that the first time Debbie and I went out on a date, and I think about that moment when we were at the restaurant, and that moment when we went to the movies, and that moment that I eventually got her home. I think about all that stuff, you know. And I think about, you know, you know our daughter Kelly, the moment that I first time I ever held her. Those moments are special. And the Gospels, the, the, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell the story of Jesus. They talk about the moments. They really do. They don't tell us everything there is. John wrote his gospel probably at least 25 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote theirs. He knew about their stuff. He knew it was in those things, those stories. He was good with it. But he wrote one more gospel. And, and at the end of his gospel, this is what John says. If you took everything Jesus said or did and tried to put them on every book that was ever written, those books couldn't hold everything that Jesus said and did. So what John gives us he gives us moments. I mean, in John chapter 1, there's the moment of his baptism. John chapter 2, there was the moment where he turns the water uh, into wine, or as we Baptists like to say, into fermented grape juice, or just grape juice, period. Chapter 3, there's the moment with Nicodemus. In chapter 4, the moment with the woman at the well. The moments, the moments, the moment. Now, in John 13, we have this moment with Jesus. We're told that it was during the Passover festival. The feast of Passover, and, and it's just time, it's the night before, and he's got them together. And so I'm going to take these four verses. I'm going to go through in reverse order, and when I go in reverse order, so that doesn't make sense, but it will make sense when I get through with it, at least it'll make sense to me. If it doesn't make sense to you, there's something wrong with you at that point. In verse 4, this is what, what we're told, that he got up from his guise, and he took off his outer garment, and he took a towel, and he wrapped it around his waist. He's about to wash the feet of the disciples. We're going to see that next week, and I'll go into detail and all that. We, we, know from, we know from the 22nd chapter of Luke that those guys were arguing with themselves who was the greatest. I mean, they were saying, who, who's, who's number one in the kingdom? See, they knew something was happening this week. I mean, this was the Passover week. Jesus has come. They had the people on the streets. and There was just turmoil and craziness everywhere. And they, they believed finally Jesus is going to establish his kingdom, which they're correct, only they just didn't understand the kingdom correctly. And so they were trying to see who's going to be the number one guy. Who's the main guy? Not only that, but one of his guys, Judas, he's going to betray him. I'll talk about that more in a minute. And so Jesus looks at these 12 one of them is completely off, you know, on his own, and he's going to betray Jesus. The other 11, they just have no clue. And so he's going to show them something by washing the feet of his guys. Now, we're told in verse 3, part of the reason for that is that he had been given everything the Father had under his hands, under his power authority. He had, it, it was his. But he was about to go back. He didn't have much time. Uh, you know, sundown hits, and they have the Feast of the Passover and all that. You know, and so you're getting in the dark, and let's just say it's, you know, 8 or 9 o'clock. You realize in about 12 hours, Jesus is going to be on a cross. 12 hours, he's going to be on a cross. 24 hours, he's going to be dead. In about 60 hours, he's going to be raised back to life. When all that happens... Things are different. I mean, he'll make a few appearances to his guys. He'll, he'll share a couple of words here and there, give them the Great Commission on that. But he doesn't have any more time with them. This is it. This is time. And they don't get it. They don't understand what's going on. And to make it worse, verse 2 tells us that the devil had put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. Now, this raises an interesting question. Judas betrays Jesus. In Scripture, you know, man, that must have fulfilled Scripture. We're told in the Gospels. Then, you know, was Judas accountable for what he did? It kind of 
when asked that question. We'll talk about Judas a whole lot more in about three weeks. But he's here now, so we've got to deal with him. Luke 22 sheds some more light on even Judas. We're told in Luke 22 that the religious leaders had decided they're going to kill Jesus. Jesus ain't going to leave Jerusalem alive as far as they're concerned. They're going to kill. They've had enough. They're putting him away. Judas knows that. Now, Judas is an interesting guy because unlike the rest of the 12, he's not from the area of Galilee. The other 11 guys are up from Jesus' home area. Some of them are related to him, about half were fishermen. Judas comes from the area of Judea. He's different. And he's really sharp. I mean, Jesus puts Judas in charge of the finances. We might have thought that he'd have put Matthew, but Matthew was a tax collector. And Jesus knew, never put a tax collector in charge of your finances. Nobody does that. So instead, he put a thief, a crook, a betrayer in charge of the finances. So Judas, somehow Judas had this connection to the leadership of the Jews, and he knew they were trying to kill Jesus. And he went to them. He approached them about betraying Jesus. Now, Luke tells us Satan had, had kind of put it in his mind to do that. And here, we're told by John, that's because the devil had put it into his heart. Now, not every, and I get, we live in a time where believing in the devil uh, is not, you know, a lot of people don't believe in the devil. And I, okay. The word devil means the accuser, the slanderer. Let me just tell you this. This is how I look at things. Jesus believes in the devil. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John believed in the devil. Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he believes in the devil. So here's the thing. If those guys, especially Jesus, who just happens to be God, God in the flesh, but, you know, God believes in the devil, I'm going to believe in the devil too. And it says he put in the heart. The heart is not the place of emotion. See, us, the heart is our emotions. We make a heartfelt decision. It's an emotional decision. But then the heart was the place of the decision. You see, your emotions back then were in your guts. Your, actually, it was in your bowels. But in America, it doesn't sound good. Honey, I love you with all my bowels. That, that, that's not going to get you engaged. You know, you never see that on a Hallmark movie. Right, Ken? You never see that in a Hallmark movie, right? <laughs> so, sorry. But when there's only a handful of you, I can point you out easier. When there's, when there's full, I can't see people's easy. So, y- your heart was the place of logic. And so, it says the devil put it into the logical decision-making places. Now, the word put, or put in, comes from a Greek word that means to throw or cast. We might say to throw a ball. You fishermen, you might cast a line. It's to take something and place it there. He placed something in the decision process of Judas, and that was to betray or to deliver over Jesus. Now, I I can tell you, in my life, even today, there have been things, I've just been sitting, in fact, in the first service, I didn't want to say this in the first service, but in the first service, I was sitting there, and just a, a thought just came to my mind. I'm like, where did that come from? I didn't come up with that. You know, you ever have that thing just pop in your mind? Like, Lord, that's not me. I promise you, that's not me. I'm getting rid of that thought as quick as I can. Well, it's that understanding that some things are placed in our life from outside of us. The New Americans, I read about 10 to 12 English versions to get a feel for this. The New American Standard, and some of you read the ESV, English Standard Version, put it this way, that the devil put it into his heart or mind. 
the, new, uh, the, the NIV and the New Living Translator say it prompted him. The idea is this. And, and the New American Standard is, is a very direct translation. The NIV interprets a little bit, but you get the fullness of the idea. The devil prompted, prompted, he pushed Judas. But Judas still made the decision. I mean, yeah, I mean, the devil may have moved him and influenced him, but ultimately it was his. See, here's the thing. This is, this is an excellent opportunity to make this point in understanding sin and evil. Evil and rebellion in general come from the evil one. But our actions are always our own. You own your actions, my friend. You own your decisions. Genesis 3. Um, back in Genesis 2, God had told Adam, you can have any tree you want in the garden. Just don't eat the tree in the middle of the knowledge of good and evil. And so in chapter 3, Adam eats of that tree. And God confronts him. You ate of that tree, didn't you? And here's what Adam said. My wife, she made me do it. She fed me the apple. She made a cobbler. I had no clue. And the wife said, no, 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 no. The devil, the serpent, the snake, he made me do it. And Jesus said, no, and God said, no, no, no. Adam, you're responsible for what you did. Yeah, you were influenced. Your actions, you own your actions. And Judas owns his actions. And it's important, though, to understand, in, in, in the context of all of this, Jesus is trying to win Judas back. He's not trying to win Judas back to avoid the cross. He's going to the cross. That's been set. And I know, you know, Judas betraying Jesus fulfilled scripture, and people say, well, he had to do it. I mean, I get all that. Listen, the cross was coming up. Je Jesus was not going to the cross. But he wanted Judas to come back and be one of the guys. And verse 1 tells it. Verse 1 sets all this up. This is why. Jesus, it says, knowing that the hour to depart the world had come. Jesus knowing. The word know means to have absolute perfect knowledge. He had the absolute grasp of everything going on. The hour. And, and the hour, you know, what is the hour in different versions, ideas, but it kind of gives you a clue to depart. He's leaving. The ascension. See, Jesus is going to the cross. From the cross is the resurrection. That's a guarantee. And the ascension, the going back up is a guarantee. He's gone. And, and so the, the hour had come to depart the world. And the, the word cosmos, it, it can mean three different things. It can mean world as earth. It can mean world as human race. It can mean world as the people who are in opposition against God. And oftentimes it means the third thing. But here it probably just means the human race. He's leaving everybody. He's leaving the world. He's leaving the people. And, and knowing that his hour had come, this is what, this is what it says. This is so important verse, in chapter 13, this verse 1. Having loved his own, who are still going to be in the world. They're not leaving the world. He is. They're still here. He loved them till the end. He loved. Last week I talked about love fairly well in depth in the word agape. The word love is to give yourself over. Having fully committed to his own. Now, he loves, we might say he loves everybody. I get that. But not everybody's with him. He loves all his followers. But all his followers aren't with him. You know who are with him? His own. His guys. And, and, and John's getting a point across. He loves his guys. And he loves his guys. And they're going to stay in the world without him. That's why everything that follows is so important. Why all the teaching is so important. To grasp all of this. Says he loved them to the end. Teleos. End. What? What is the, and that word telos end is used so much in the New Testament, the gospel is so important. It has, it has two fundamental meanings, just some variants of it. One is 
to finish something, to come to the point where you have finished it. At some point, this message will end, and you're saying, hallelujah, and it's going to end right about 14 minutes from now. Maybe. But the word end can also mean to accomplish something. You've done all there is to do. I'm actually going to finish this message when I've accomplished everything I've decided to accomplish. So it may end in 13 minutes and 45 seconds. It may not. I may not feel I've accomplished everything. But when everything's been accomplished to the utmost, it is. That's the meaning here. Jesus loved them, not till he was through loving them, but till he had loved them as much as could be loved. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being no love, 10 being the most, Jesus was at the 10. So get this. Having loved his own, his guys, including Judas, and the 11 guys who were so worried about whose place was the greatest, he loved them to the uttermost he could love them. And knowing he didn't have any time left with these guys, he got up and took his outer garment off and wrapped a cloth around him. So as we'll see next week, he can show them what love looks like. You guy, one is going to betray me. And 11, you don't have a clue what's going on. I want you to understand something about love. He washes their feet. And then 12 hours later, he dies on the cross. So when we ask the question I asked last week, when we ask the question, what does love look like? We begin here. We begin right here. Jesus loving his own completely, even Judas. Even Judas. He loved them. One last moment with his guys. One last moment. One last moment to say, I love you. And now we're going to see about making that moment our own. How do we take the moment here and make it our own moment to experience what it is to be loved to the fullest as one of his own. In the, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tell the story of what we call the rich young ruler. There's this young guy. He has a lot of influence. He has a lot of money. He's a good guy. And he comes to Jesus. And he says, I want to be saved. What do I got to do? Because he's done everything. He followed the law completely. So Jesus, and Mark tells us this, he looks at him, and Jesus loved him. So Jesus looked at him and he loved this guy. He loved this guy. He wanted this guy to be one of his guys. And he says, well, you got a lot of money, and it's getting in the way. So take all that money you're relying on, and you take it, and you just give it all to the poor. And then here's what you need to do to be safe, to be one of my guys. You come follow me. And the gospel writers say that he turned and walked away very, very sad because he was very rich. He wasn't going to do that. Jesus loved him. Now, here's the question. Did that guy experience the love of Jesus? There were two men hanging on a cross with Christ. And back in the uh, first of March when I began my series on seven, before the, the lockdown, the shutdown hit, you know, I was preaching through the seven sayings of Jesus. And obviously I continued even through the, the shutdown, the lockdown. But there were two guys, and they were, they were calling thieves, but they were insurrectionists. They were rebels, treasonous guys. And both of them, we know from Matthew and Mark, were hurling insults at Jesus. But in, in, in Luke, we see that Jesus cries out to God to forgive everyone around him, all the people putting him to death. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He included those two thieves, and one of those thieves got that. 
And he said, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And he said, yeah, today you'll be with me in paradise. Two thieves, but only one. Only one that got to hear today you'll be with me. And so the question is, did, did the second thief, did he experience the benefit of the cross? John 3, 16, probably the best known verse, certainly from the New Testament. Jesus, John records Jesus talking to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world, God so loved, to the greatest love you could have, the world, he gave his one and only son as Jesus. That anyone, anyone who might by chance believe or have faith in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus did not say, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that everyone would not perish but have everlasting life. No, he said anyone who believes. Is everyone then not going to experience that full love of God? The answer to all three of those questions is no. They don't. The one thief didn't experience the cross, the blessings of the cross in Christ. The rich young ruler didn't experience the love. Not everyone is going to be with him in eternal life. If, uh, if there was someone, say, who just didn't really like me, and in fact, I say if, I know there are people that way. I just don't know who they are. I don't want to mention them if I did. But if there was someone who really couldn't stand me, and I knew they were going through a hard time, and I wanted to help them out, and I say, you know, God, you know, it's, it's tough between us, but... I want, I want to love them, so God, I'm going to, I take a card, and I put a $100 bill in there, and I know it says, do whatever you need with this $100 bill, and I, and I put it to give it to them, and, and say, some of you don't know, $100 bills can be spent, you can spend those, you don't have to cling to hold on to them for dear life there, you can spend those bad boys, you can, you can do that, so put it in that card, and I said, to you from me, and, and that guy got that card, I said, I can't stand David, I just can't stand him, and he takes that card, and he throws it away, and he throws that $100 bill away. Did he ever really receive the gift? I mean, I gave it to him, but did he ever receive it? Did it ever benefit him? No, 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 no. We ask the question, who experiences the love of Jesus? And we want to say everyone. And maybe there's a sense in which everyone does in a big picture. I mean, every person that's born experiences the love of God and having the opportunity for birth. <laughs> By the way, as a side note. It's nothing to do with my message, but I'm not going to let this opportunity pass. If someone being born is an act of God's love, and we terminate that birth, we are acting in opposition to the love of God. You understand that, right? You need to understand that. That is acting in opposition to the love of God. So God loves, and we experience birth, we experience the love of God. You know, you think about... Christian culture and the Christian world mindset and Christianity, it is the Christian worldview that values education. It's the Christian worldview that values health. So you see, you see missionaries going on the foreign mission field to places that have never heard of Christ. And one of the first things they'll do sometimes is they'll start a school or they'll start a clinic or a hospital. It's an act of, of love. So there's a general sense, but that's really not the question then. The real question is this. Who experiences the love of Jesus to the fullest? You see, the rich young ruler, the thief on the cross who didn't accept him, not everyone experiences the love of Jesus to the fullest. Who does? The answer is simple. His own. His own experienced that. So you come to Judas. Judas was one of his guys. He hung with the other 11. And he saw everything they saw. 
He was with them. Jesus even had confidence in Judas. He put him in a place of leadership. And so here is Judas and here is Peter. You know, in the last hours of Christ's life, they both betrayed him. They did. I mean, Judas gave him over to the Jewish rulers, but Peter, he denied even knowing him. Three times. And the third time, he cursed Jesus and the people who said, you know him. Both guys regretted their decisions. Peter just wept and left, left the area of where his betrayal and just weeping, broken. Judas was so broken and so overcome with guilt, he took, he took the money and he threw it back at the religious leaders and said, I messed up. I shouldn't have done that. Right? They're in the exact same place. They're his guys. Both of them messed up and both of them felt horrible about it. But Peter hung around. And kept his faith. And on Resurrection Sunday, he saw Jesus. And he was one of the guys. But Judas just hung himself. And never experienced the love of Christ to the fullest. He never experienced being one of his own the way it was supposed to be. One of the things that I think is sometimes hard for us to understand is that as much as God loves us, God still holds us accountable. See, every person rebels against God, and God holds every person accountable for rebelling. But to his own, Jesus takes that accountability, and he takes it upon himself. You see that, oh, him. Jesus took our sins and made it his very own. He takes our failure. He takes our rebellion. He takes all of that and he makes it his. So in our accountability before God, we come through Christ. We're one of his guys. We're one of his gals. We're one of his. He went on that cross and took all of that upon himself so we don't have to. That's what he did for his own. return, he just says, to be one of my own, to experience my love to the fullest. You've got to trust him. Peter trusted him, and Judas never did. And that's why Peter and the rest of the guys and some others, especially Paul, after they've all been saved, they all went out into the world, and they started telling people what it means to experience love, to be one of his own, because they were his own. You can be one of us, not apostles, followers of Jesus. And you can experience what it means for Jesus to love you to the end. Jesus made a command of them. His command is you love one another. And if you love one another, what you do is you go to the one another and you help them understand Jesus. For here's the thing. For Jesus to love you to the end, you must be one of his own. You must be one of his guys. You must be one of his gals. You must trust him. You can go to church all you want to. You can believe all the right things. 
say all the right words, take the Lord's Supper, you can be baptized. And it's just like Judas, you may never be one of his own because you have not given your life to him and trusted him as Savior. And so what I really want to encourage you to do today is just look and say and ask yourself this question, am I one of his own? To fully and completely experience the love of Jesus, you need to be one of his own. Or you're one of his guys, or you're one of his gals, if you trusted him with your life. Some of you are watching, you know, online. And you, you've got to ask yourself that question, too. Are you one of his own? And if the answer is you're not, I'm not one of his own, but you want to become one of his own. In a few moments, when we're going to have a song, and Brian's going to lead it, the, there'll be a phone number pop up, and you need to, you can text respond to that number. And, and that way, you can talk to one of our, our guys will call you. But for those of you that are in here now, ask yourself this question. Am, Am I one of Jesus' own? And if you say, no, I'm really not one of the guys. I'm really not one of the cows. Why don't you give your life to Christ? We're going to be up here at the front. And you can just say, you know what? I'm going to trust Christ to be my Savior. I, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to do that. Now, for those of you who say, yeah, I'm one of his own, think about this. Are you helping other people experience that love? You see, with this shutdown and now with these protests, it's so easy for us Father of Christ to get caught in the wrong direction. We forget what really matters. So here's the thing. In the long run, the pandemic doesn't matter. In the long run, protests don't matter. In the long run, all that really matters are do the people you care about, are those people, one of the guys, one of the cows. You are. Why don't you invite them to be part of the own? Help them experience the love of Christ to the end, to the fullest. And maybe you want to come today or where you are and recommit yourself to helping people experience that love. To thinking of that one person that you know, that one person in your life you know needs to experience the love of Christ to the end. So when we ask the question, what does love look like? Love looks like a person who experiences it to the end. And Lord... You gave your life for us so we could experience your love completely. The only way to experience that love completely is to trust you to be our Savior. So I ask in your name and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you bring us to a place that we can experience your love to the fullest. That we trust you with our life. We commit to your life completely. And in doing so, then, go and help other people experience that love to the end. For truly, Father, that's what love really is, to know it fully and completely in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. Would you stand? If you want to come forward, we'll be here to greet you.